you cannot achieve the targets we have out today for zero carbon, low cost, high reliability, if hydrogen is not a fundamental part of that picture. We can't wait 10, 15, 20 years to start deploying that infrastructure. We need to start today if we're really gonna achieve the goals we've set forward over the course of the next few decades. And that's why we believe so strongly in it. And again, at least me personally, that's why I'm all in on it here too. We are here to try to explain to you what it is we do here. The solar industry in the U.S. employs more people than Google, Apple, Facebook, and Twitter combined. The most valuable commodity I know of is information. Wouldn't you agree? Welcome into the Green Insider Podcast, powered by eRenewable. I am your host, Fred Davis. Episode number 97 of the program happening right now. Yes, that's right. Episode 97. Just three episodes away from that magic number 100. And uh, we've got a great guest schedule. We've got a bunch of great programs and initiatives and series we've got going on right now with the Green Insider. And of course, uh, listen, if you haven't followed us on LinkedIn yet, please do so today. E-Renewable and the Green Insider podcast. You will be glad that you did. Just keeping you up to date on all the great stuff that we're doing here on the podcast, all the content, all the guests, and just all the collaborations, which is a perfect segue way for our guest today, episode number 97, with Mr. Michael Ducker, return guest to the program, executive VP for all things hydrogen infrastructure over at Mitsubishi Power Americas. Another great visit from Mr. Ducker talking about what they're doing in the hydrogen space. And of course, they were on this thing way before a lot of folks were uh, talking all things hydrogen. So we'll get to what Ducker has to say here in just a second. But before we do that, let's welcome to the program our CEO and co-founder, Mr. Mike Niemer, telling you what we do here at eRenewable. At eRenewable, we know going green is important to your business and your ESG rating. Besides offering PPAs and VPPAs, through our network of clean energy professionals, we can also offer renewable natural gas or let us help you lower your carbon footprint with responsibly sourced gas from a leading global energy provider. Maybe you need green energy credits, whether it's unbundled RECs or RSG certificates. Your path to net zero and decarbonization is one step closer with the renewable. For more assistance, please call us at 1-866-E-Renew1. Thank you so much for that, Mr. Mike Niemer. Like I said, you can follow us over on our LinkedIn page, E-Renewable and the Green Insider Podcast. And of course, we've got a grand reveal of the website, eRenewable.com. It's coming, folks. I promise you, you know how these internet things work, working out a few bugs and kinks along the way, but uh, it's coming along nicely. And uh, I think you're going to be pleased with the user experience when it's all said and done. Now, before we get to the episode with Mr. Michael Ducker, let's welcome Mr. Tim Berrigan, Executive Director of of the North American Energy Markets Association, you may know him as NEMA, to the program as we like to do each and every other week, talking about the NEMA News Minute. They've got a tremendous conference coming up in April. I'm sure you heard about it. If you haven't, well, you're about to now. Go to NEMA.com. Here is Mr. Tim Berrigan with the NEMA News Minute. Hi, Fred. This is Tim Berrigan, Executive Director of the North American Energy Markets Association. Thanks for the opportunity to provide another NEMA News Minute. We at NEMA extend an early Happy St. Patrick's Day wish to the entire e-renewable community. NEMA is pleased to welcome several new members that have joined over the past few weeks. Consolidated Asset Management Strategies, a consultant providing asset management services to its clients. Smartest Energy, a comp competitive wholesale energy provider. And Data Center Power Advisors, a consultant providing services to data center developers, have all joined NEMA. 
We are only five weeks away from the 2022 NAMA Spring Conference at the Hyatt Lost Pines Resort in the beautiful Texas Hill Country. We've eclipsed 100 registrants and are hopeful we will greet close to 200 at the event. NAMA is pleased to announce the final installment in our virtual presentation series on the challenges and opportunities presented by the largest in-use drivers in the energy market data centers, and electric vehicles. In this last presentation, Making a Difference, Optimizing Different Storage Technologies, our panel will discuss how some companies are successfully optimizing different storage technologies in different regions, in different scenarios, and for different customers. Finally, we have posted multiple RFPs and job opportunities for our members over the past month. More information regarding our new members, RFPs, and job opportunities can be found at NEMA's website. Thank you for the opportunity to provide this news minute. We will provide another one in a few weeks. And we hope to see everyone at Lost Pines Resort in late April. Thank you so much for that, Mr. Tim Berrigan. As he said, you can go to NEMA.com to find out more about the conference. And if you're looking to be a member, and why wouldn't you be, go to NEMA.com for that as well. And, of course, we've got a great series coming up on all things NEMA and the conference with some of their members that are going to be out at the conference. You do not want to miss that. So let's turn our attention to today's episode. Mr. Michael Ducker, VP of Hydrogen Infrastructure over at Mitsubishi Power Americas. He's been here before. Glad to have him back on. And, of course, the one thing you know about Mike Ducker, he's always going to bring you great information uh, as he always does. Talking a little bit about Zero Week, he, he and his team were there uh, also last week talking about the partnerships and collaborations with folks that, let's call it what it is, he didn't see on his radar just a few years ago, but that's the beauty of what's going on right now in this energy transition. He'll touch on that. Uh, he also talks about the blueprint to decarbonization. Great insight from him. It's not just a bunch of greenwashing and just a bunch of you know pelts on the wall that they're trying to achieve. They're talking about actual tangible goals, so we'll hear about that from him. Him. Uh, and of course, again, let's talk about the Advanced Clean Energy Project, which he's also the chief operating officer of. Great stuff they're doing over there in Utah. And of course, they've got a great announcement on the horizon there. And then finally, what was it about hydrogen that Mitsubishi was so bullish on way before everybody else? So a lot of great stuff from Mr. Michael Ducker. No surprise there. Please welcome to the program from Mitsubishi Power Americas, the VP of Hydrogen Infrastructure, Mr. Michael Ducker. You know, a theme we talk a, a lot about Mitsubishi Power is unprecedented collaboration. And when you look at what we saw at Sarah Week and when we looked at uh, what we've just been seeing in general over the past six months, year, two years, we've got partnerships that are being created by industries that historically have never worked together before. And as you said, as we look at decarbonization, it's not a matter of renewable energy. It's not a matter of, you know, bits and pieces of the supply chain. It's really a diverse set of stakeholders coming together and looking at how we solve the challenges that are being put forward today. And, you know, if I look back at myself and who I've been talking with over the course of the past year, two years, you know, traditionally we've been on the power side. And usually that's your big utilities, your IPPs, your developers. Yet I've been talking with guys in the transportation sector, the big energy and oil majors, talking with uh, pipeline companies, uh, talking with, uh, for example, our relationship with Texas Brine, a producer of Brine. We're finding very innovative ways to work together because all of us in the industry realize today that to solve these very complex problems, you're not going to do it alone. And so coming together as diverse set of industries to try to solve these problems really has been one of the most exciting aspects of at least where I sit. And I think is really a summation of what we saw at Sarah Week here just recently. 
The beauty of Sarah Week was the multitude of speakers, and, and your group was very well represented there as well. What was some of the feedback that you guys got, or was there anything that anybody was kind of able to pull you aside afterwards and have some side conversations that, you know, aside from the, the, the main discussion that you guys were having that maybe caught your, caught your attention? So, you know, I think one of the most interesting things that I heard from, from a lot of stakeholders there was, first of all, if you look back, again, year two years ago, uh, where were we, at least on Mitsubishi Powerfront, we, we felt a little bit alone. You know, we were announcing the Advanced Clean Energy Storage Project. We had a bunch of these new partnerships, but but hydrogen, you know, really our focus on the hydrogen front was kind of, a, you know, a, a bit of an island. Uh, I go back to even one stakeholder referred to it as a science project. Uh, and again, this is just two years ago when we're talking about green hydrogen, uh, you know, using that for long duration energy storage. And that's what it's being referred to as. Yet today, look at all the announcements we've got. We've got announcements that make our project actually look a bit modest, which is great. I mean, I think it's fantastic to see what has transpired in the industry in literally just two years. But going back to your question, what did we hear a lot about? It was, hey, there's all these great announcements going on. There's, there seems to be a, you know, a lot of momentum. This is actually happening now. But you guys are a bit ahead of the pack here. You've got projects that are about to go shovel ready. You've done a lot of this work. How do we work together with you? And, and what have you learned in this whole process of you know, what's real, what's not real? What makes a project you know, get it to the finish line here? And I think that was a lot of, of, of really humbling kind of feedback we got from the conference was uh, at different stakeholders that wanted to talk with us because they felt like we weren't just making announcements or just you know, saying great things. We're actually doing those things. And there's a lot of people, and I think that's the biggest feedback or excitement I'd say, who aren't just out there to make some kind of announcement, don't just want to you know, have the press. These big, big companies want to make tangible investments in real projects and try to get real projects to the finish line. And that's where I think, again, what we heard from some of those types of stakeholders was, how do we start to work with you? Because we really want to get some dirt moving here and getting some of these big projects underway. What, how did it feel to get that feedback when Two years ago, you were on an island. You know, it's, it's extremely rewarding, but I think the bigger story behind that, and this is a story that I can't wait to tell once all is said and done, is what it took to even get to that point. Recognize that two years ago, what we were talking about uh, and being uh, on the island was also really years in the making in and of itself. And when you look across the entire timeline of different players and different people that have supported this, it's all about teamwork and really I'd say teams that are that persevere and perseverance in this industry is absolutely critical. And when you take a group of teams that are working on one set of problems and, you know, have their challenges persevere through, that's what really led up to when at least I had taken on board about two years ago and drove that through, built up our team that's been working on the advanced clean energy storage project and really hydrogen as a whole. And our team has faced all kinds of different challenges, but across that team, we continue to persevere and continue to work through. And now here we are today. And so, you know, I think when I look back, not only is it, I'd say rewarding for me and in, in, in kind of the, as you said, the naysayers or the challengers, but I think even more rewarding is recognizing the amount of uh, team members and in collaboration that went in just internally in some of our key stakeholders that got us to that point and we would have never been where we're at today had we not had that. And I think that's the more, uh, I say, rewarding aspect is knowing that we've got a dedicated, persevering group of team members that that got to where 
we're at today. And those are all the people that I hope are, are incredibly proud to know that they played such a pivotal role uh, in really helping to shape this industry. And, and that's the fact that I keep telling our team members is you guys are helping, have helped and continue to help shape this industry. And for a lot of people, that's really powerful to know that you are making a difference and actually helping, uh, you know, be a part of really historic part of our energy industry. We're starting now to see, and, and Mr. Mike Niemer here has been a big proponent of this about, you know, you got folks who say they want to be net zero. They say they want to be carbon free, but you know, is it just greenwashing? Is it, are you just telling us that because it's the thing to do? Whereas our guy, Mike Ducker here has an actual blueprint for decarbonization and actually put pen to paper with some actual ideas and tangible goals down. Yeah, so, you know, I think what we set out to do is it was actually kind of looking at how did we get to where we're at today? And, you know, how do we try to, to map that out better? So as other companies, as other industries are looking at how do we achieve the decarbonization goals we have, uh, really laying out that blueprint. And, and our blueprint is really premised on three key points. First and foremost is ensuring clean, reliable electricity. The second point is looking at incentivizing technology adoption to lower costs. And then the last point is really what I've already talked about is fostering unprecedented co collaboration. And with, when within each of those, we, we further break down you know, some of the key aspects. And, and really I probably focus first on that ensuring clean, reliable electricity. You know, we've already been seeing a lot of this underway, I'd say on the power side of the energy industry. And, and what have we seen? Well, we've seen first and foremost, the replacement of coal with a combination of natural gas and renewables. And when you look at some of the factoids there, what have we seen? You know, we're looking at over 40% reduction in carbon emissions in the U.S. that has been really driven by just the retirement and replacement of our existing coal infrastructure and fossil infrastructure with a combo of natural gas renewables. But the challenge there is we still have natural gas in the mix. And so even as Mitsubishi being a gas turbine predominantly manufacturer, you know, we recognize that to get to these zero carbon type of targets, we need to do something about that natural gas. And so the next phase there, as we continue to decarbonize, we really need to look at decreasing the amount of natural gas usage with stored renewables. And when we say stored renewables, we actually think about this in two different lenses. The first is, you know, what, what most people think of. That's your battery energy storage. That's your, uh, as everybody knows in the industry, your duck curve, right? You the middle of the day, the sun's shining, we're overproducing. We're going to charge a bunch of lithium ion batteries late day when the sun goes down, we're going to discharge those batteries. And that is a very important part of the energy mix when we think about storing renewables. The transition, or I think what we're starting to see even more so now, is around green hydrogen, or I'd say hydrogen being used as a form of long duration energy storage. And in fact, we're already seeing this in California right now today, in that in 2021, we saw on average about 300 gigawatt hours of curtailed energy in the winter and spring months. And yet in you know just the year before, we saw California experiencing its first ever rolling blackouts in over two decades in the summertime. And so what are we seeing transpire today? We're actually seeing not just that daily energy imbalance where we're oversupplying at certain hours and we're short at different hours, we're seeing it actually occur in seasons. And this is where hydrogen plays a very important role in helping to do that seasonal uh, imbalance where we've got oversupply in say the winter and spring months and a, a, a deficit in the summer and fall months. 
And so it's really, you know, keying in on that piece. Uh, the last two, I just say briefly, as we think about the ensuring reliable and affordable electricity, we do believe in electrifying everything. Everything we can electrify that can possibly be electrified, let's do that because the power grid is a great resource to help support the decarbonization in bulk scale. But at some point too, we can't electrify every single thing. There are some sectors that are just hard to abate and hard to electrify. And those are ones that also will see an important impact when we think about the role for hydrogen in helping to decarbonize those sectors. When we look at our advanced clean energy storage project, as well as the Intermountain Power Project that uh, has procured Mitsubishi gas turbines to run on hydrogen, that really will be one of the world's first projects that is looking to utilize hydrogen, I'd say in this case, green or renewable or whatever uh, nomenclature we're gonna put in front of the hydrogen molecule, but really just support the decarbonization of that asset. More importantly to your question going forward, what do we see? And I think there's a uh, really a groundswell from utility planners and from uh, you know, different stakeholders looking at the role for hydrogen. And it goes back to really, uh, this is such an important aspect to understand. We get the question a lot, what's the dollar per kilogram of green hydrogen? A and what I always retort back is kind of a simple question of, what's the dollar per kilogram of lithium ion batteries? Nobody asks that question, right? Because nobody thinks about a battery as a fuel. And it's the same piece when we think about green hydrogen. For a utility, you're not looking to take a green electron, convert it to the renewable electron, convert it to hydrogen, just to immediately convert it back to electricity. What we're looking at using hydrogen in that case is energy storage. And so the models we look at and the way we think about it is not a dollar per kilogram. We think about it as levelized cost of storage. You know, think about dollar per megawatt hour, or even more from a robust standpoint, let's look at system planning. Let's look at some of the more sophisticated models that are out there like Plexos and what you know your grid planners use. And let's look from a system standpoint, how does hydrogen play a role in getting lowest cost, highest reliability with zero carbon? And when you look at it from the utility planner standpoint from there, now we're thinking about the whole system and not just this very simple, you know, what's your dollar per kg? And when you start to take the conversation to those more sophisticated, detailed approaches, that's exactly where we see the utilities that say, aha, now this, this makes a lot of sense. I can actually hit my targets much more quickly, much more uh, uh, cost affordably, and actually get to, you know, likely lower carbon targets uh, sooner than I otherwise would have realized. And that's where we're driving a lot of the conversation here today, at least on the utility side. Can you yeah. kind of go through the list of those colors for our listeners and kind of explain briefly what they might mean? Green hydrogen, everybody knows. A PPA is tied to the hydrogen plant. They've got power from it, and thus you have green hydrogen. What do some of those other Crayola colors mean? Yeah, and, and what I, I guess what I'll first say is I think we're hearing a lot across the energy industry is trying to get away from that that color nomenclature and and. You know, I'm guilty of just having gone through and keep referring to green. At least from us, we think about green. There is kind of two discrete aspects of hydrogen, I would say. There's hydrogen for energy storage, which is predominantly tied to green. Uh, and then there's hydrogen for fuel. And we think about hydrogen for fueling, you know, that's where at least green can apply if it's being used for, say, a transportation sector opportunity or industrial. But then there's the other colors you talk about. So blue, that's where we're taking traditional reforming processes where we take natural gas uh, and convert CH4 to, to H2 
In the process, we create CO2. The blue aspect of this, though, is taking that CO2 and actually capturing it. Another one that I think we see to be very exciting, what is commonly referred to as turquoise, is a method known as pyrolysis. And so this is where we actually take similar feedstock, natural gas, CH4, and we're converting it to hydrogen, but also a form of uh, solid carbon. And that solid carbon is actually used in industries for uh, manufacturing tires, uh, all the way down to inks. And so there's actually a market for that solid carbon. And the, the turquoise aspect is comes into play because if you use renewables to drive the heat for that process, you have blue plus green, hence turquoise. From there, there's you know pink with nuclear. There's I, I've heard uh, I think white or gold has something to do with something underground. And uh, as you said, there's a bunch of colors, a bunch of uh, uh, different takes on it. I, I think where we're seeing the industry coalesce around a bit more though is let's focus on the carbon intensity. Mm-hmm. You know, is is this zero CI? Is this uh, you know at least getting us better? And, and let's focus the conversation around there. Uh, as opposed to the you know the different colors that 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 as you said come out of the Crayola crayon box like my little kids got. Are you all entering the uh, responsibly sourced gas market to uh, to reduce that carbon footprint on natural gas, or is that a market that RSG market something you've entered into yet? You know, we're working certainly with other entities out there who are uh, sourcing, as you said, RSGs responsibly sourced gas, uh, and and of course you know we firmly support that. And, you know, us as a company itself aren't making, I guess I'd say, tangible infrastructure investments, uh, at least today, but we are, as we continue to do in this unprecedented uh, collaboration, you know, partnering with other entities out there who are, are are pursuing that. And we are seeing, as you said, a lot more interest and, and push behind, you know, that approach. And, and again, very exciting to see as that continues to unfold. What was it about hydrogen that you guys felt so confident about two years ago to where we are now, where obviously it's a, I don't care what anybody says, it's a major player. Yeah, no, it's a great question. I think when you step back and at least I can talk for certainly myself personally, you know, where the light bulb went off because I was in this space almost two decades ago, you know, you go, go to early two thousands. That's when we first started talking about the hydrogen economy. And that was what was so often said over the course of the past few years of this is just the early 2000s all over again. You know, we're, we're about to enter the hydrogen economy. Here's all this great stuff and it's going to fizzle away. But when you really drill down and look at the signposts and the market fundamentals and try to look at today versus two decades ago, we're in a completely different space right now. You know, when you look at what's driving behavior, what's driving investments, um, really going all the way downstream, kind of what we already said, it's no longer just talk. Mm-hmm. You look at the end users, um, you know, people like you and I are demanding that everything be zero carbon. You look at the major Fortune 500s and how they're looking at um, uh, even creating their products or selling their products. They're saying that, you know, we don't want energy. We don't want products that have any carbon footprint behind it. You look even most importantly, the guys that are funding these projects, your investors are now fully subscribed to ESG investments. And they're saying, I'm not gonna make an investment in an infrastructure project that doesn't have at least a pathway to getting to zero carbon. And so when you have all these factors coming together, then tie on, you've got at least the state governments who are starting to say, well, we wanna hit by 2040, 2050, zero carbon. Bring all these together and you see the recipe today 
is again, fundamentally different than what we had in the early 2000s, which was everyone generally talking about it. We're kind of interested, but you know, it, it wasn't that firm commitment all the way from the end user to the investor, to everybody across there. And so getting back to why did we believe hydrogen makes sense today? The simple fact of the matter is you cannot achieve the targets we have out today for zero carbon, low cost, high reliability, if hydrogen is not a fundamental part of that picture. And so when we look at bringing all this together, renewables, different decarbonization technologies, all the different aspects to get there, hydrogen will play a fundamental role. And we can't wait 10, 15, 20 years to start deploying that, tech, that infrastructure. We need to start today if we're really gonna achieve the goals we've set forward over the course of the next few decades. And that's why we believe so strongly in it. And again, at least me personally, that's why I'm all in on it here too. Let's talk about the clean energy storage project. Let's talk about it. So um, yeah, I mean, look, we've been talking about this, at least for me, it, it feels like forever. And anybody that's in the industry knows, you know, any major infrastructure project, it takes time. And particularly a, we don't like to say first of a kind, this is really first of a kind market application. Because when you look at the, the components of the advanced clean energy storage project, there isn't really anything you know, first of a kind or new here. We look at electrolyzers. You know, right now we're looking at 100 tons per day of hydrogen production. That's about 220 megawatts of electrolysis. Well, the great news is from an industry, that is a very robust supply chain. We look at the history of what's been sold for electrolyzer technology, nothing new there, but the scale is quite a bit different. I mean, you look just a few years ago, you were talking about your know, global shipments for electrolyzers was about 200 or so megawatts. And here we've got one project that's effectively the entire global supply chain that was shipped out you know, just a, a year or two ago. So we're building up on the same building blocks, but just it's a much bigger scale than we've ever seen before. Same goes for hydrogen storage, nothing new there. We've been storing hydrogen in caverns and salt caverns since the 1980s, but I go back to the scale piece. The entire world has, I think it's about 10 or 12 million barrels of, of equivalent storage and we can get the exact number, but uh, our site alone for two caverns is going to nearly double the entire world capacity for hydrogen storage. So again, the scale is the big difference piece here. Uh, and then the last side of it is really just looking at how do we integrate that with renewable energy and looking at supporting long duration energy storage. And so again, it's that first of a kind market application prior to today, we never really needed hydrogen at the scale for producing and converting energy and storing it and integrating it within our power grids, but today we need that. And so that's what's really so unique and innovative about uh, the project we're working on there. And uh, again, we're extremely excited uh, of the progress that's been made in very short time. We'll be uh, uh, making some, some more announcements here as to that progress uh, right. and where the project stands. All right, so uh, that announcement notwithstanding, what else is, is on the docket for the rest of 2022 for uh, Team Michael Ducker and the Mitsubishi folks? So we are just so excited about some of the partnerships we've struck here over the past you know, one to two years. Uh, a few I'd love to just call out right now, Bakken Energy up in North Dakota. You know, we've been working on that. It's a huge project um, looking at, if we are gonna use colors here, looking predominantly at blue hydrogen, uh, but potentially some other uh, mixes in there. Uh, and that's one that really we see a, a, a tremendous opportunity of taking existing infrastructure. And I think this is what's so important to talk about is there's so much 
existing infrastructure out there today with natural gas producing hydrogen, how do we clean that up? And that's really the story behind that project is looking at taking an existing infrastructure uh, and cleaning that up from the existing Dakota gasification facility. Um, and so that's one to highlight uh, our partnership with Entergy in the Gulf Coast. You know, here is just so, it's, it's so cool to see we've got a utility customer who we've got a great relationship with. We struck this agreement to try to work together in the Gulf Coast. And I'll say it again, unprecedented collaboration. We're starting to talk with other entities in that region who traditionally we haven't talked with before. Uh, and so trying to stitch together, you know, a project and, 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 and opportunities within there. Uh, and then several of the other, um, you know, uh, what we call joint development agreements, but our partnerships we've struck. There's one in the tri-state region. We've got up in the Pacific Northwest with Puget Sound. We've got with DT Midstream on a, a pipeline company. And I even already mentioned with Texas Brine and, and there's more to come. And so really, I think, as you said, what, what does the next year look like? It looks like a lot more of these collaborations going forward, but even more importantly, it's really taking a lot of these and in, in, in to the next step, which is we're beyond the proposing projects and proposing partnerships. We're now moving into rolling up the sleeves and starting to you know actually get projects to the finish line uh, and starting to the most exciting part, get some uh, get some shovels and dirt. And so uh, that's what we're looking for here this next year. Thank you so much for that, Mr. Michael Ducker. You can catch all of the Green Insider episodes over at Apple Podcasts, Spotify, eRenewable.com, Google Play, and we just added two brand new platforms, TuneIn and Stitcher, to the mix. Yes, that's right. You can now find the Green Insider podcast on all five of the top streaming platforms in the world on the internet so if you need the green insider we got it for you uh definitely don't want to miss this upcoming week's follower friday melissa miller from clean Tech is going to join us talking the upcoming grid next which is going to be at the end of the month don't forget about the energy marketing conferences that we're going to be at with our guy jack duet from energy marketing conferences looking forward to that and then of course we've got the great u of h series coming up that's the university of houston their energy coalition the eight-part series shout out to my girl afria nasir and uh, dr Krishna Morty, some great news coming on that front. And then, yes, ladies and gentlemen, that's right, episode number 100. Looking forward to that. We'll have a special announcement about that coming up pretty soon. I just got two words for you data gumbo. Got to give a huge shout out, as always, to the entire eRenewable team and Mike, Roger, Al, all the guests, and of course, you, the audience. Without you, we wouldn't be able to make all of this happen. This has been the Green Insider Podcast, powered by eRenewable. We make going green easier. Just a soul.